Welcome to Cold Steel, the Canadian Journal of Surgery podcast with your hosts Amir Farouk and Chad Ball. The goal of the CJS podcast is threefold. The first is to highlight the best research currently being completed by Canadian surgeons. The second is to offer educational topics for both surgeons and trainees alike. And most importantly, the third goal is to inspire discussion, thoughts, creativity, and career development in all Canadian surgeons. We hope you enjoy it. It is my pleasure to introduce our first guest for the podcast, Dr. Robin McLeod. She is an icon of Canadian surgery and is a general and colorectal surgeon. She is also the visionary and founder of Evidence-Based Reviews in Surgery, EBRS. She completed her training in general surgery at the University of Toronto, colorectal surgery fellowship at Cleveland Clinic, as well as training in clinical epidemiology at McMaster University before joining faculty at the University of Toronto in 1985. She's now Vice President, Clinical Programs and Quality Initiatives at Cancer Care Ontario. So just once again, thanks so much for coming on board to be our first guest on Cold Steel, the official podcast for the Canadian Journal of Surgery. You're such an icon for Canadian colorectal surgery and general surgery uh, in general. And so it's a huge honor to be able to have you as our first guest and pick your brain and uh, uh, get a glimpse into your contributions to the, to CJS as well as to your career in general. Could you just define what uh, evidence-based reviews in surgery is, just in case anyone who's listening has never heard of ABRS? Evidence-based reviews in surgery is a initiative that was um, undertaken by the uh, um, Canadian Association of General Surgeons, and uh, the idea for it, or the goal, was to teach um, practicing surgeons how to evaluate uh, clinical um, papers. And so, uh, for this, we had once every month for general surgeons, where was our um, those were they were the ones who were involved at once a month and uh, we did uh, eight a year that uh, and each package each month had a clinical article and then also a methodology article that they could use to uh, evaluate the clinical uh, article and uh, we had experts uh, that were involved and so that there could be a discussion with the experts and at the end of uh, two weeks, that um, uh, we would uh, uh, send out a um, a uh, review of both the clinical article as well as the methodological article, uh, so that the participants could uh, read what the experts said about it. And uh, we did uh, eight. Uh, um, general surgery articles and four colorectal sur- uh, surgery um, articles uh, every year. You know, it's funny when when I was growing up, my my grandfather is a general surgeon, and he actually used to be on the listserv when EBRS kind of first came out as, as its first iteration as a listserv. And so I remember my grandfather reading EBRS and. Uh, clearly, disseminating research has been a passion of yours for a long time. 
How did you first come up with the idea of doing EBRS? Uh, well, it's sort of a funny story. When I finished my um, uh, general surgery and colorectal uh, surgery training, then I went to McMaster, and uh, there were so many great people there, and uh, they had they were the ones who first um, uh, talked about evidence-based care. And uh, so I got really interested in evidence-based uh, care and also in uh, clinical trials. And then when I came back uh, on staff at the uh, Toronto General Hospital, uh, I wanted to do a um, journal club with our uh, residents because I agreed with uh, the people at McMaster, you know, that they needed to learn the how to uh, assess a uh, article and the methodology. So Toronto being uh, fairly large and multiple uh, hospitals, it was impossible to get all the residents together. So what we did was we had uh, um, a journal club at the various uh, hospitals. And uh, the um, general surgery staff were very happy to um, chair them, but uh, they didn't really have a good um, sense of uh, how to uh, uh, talk or teach about uh, methodology. So for them, I made what I called in quotes, tutor's notes, and uh, so that they used them at their own hospital to do journal club. And uh, then Ori Rothstein and Bryce Taylor, who are general surgeons here, they thought that it was great and that I should try and uh, get it uh, uh, pan-Canadian. And uh, at that time, uh, Bill Fitzgerald was the uh, secretary of uh, CAGS. And so I spoke to him, and he's always been a uh, strong um, supporter of uh, EBRS. And so... Uh, we, I also received uh, funding from pharma and uh, uh, surgery technology, and uh, so that's how we moved from Toronto to um, uh, CAGS. And when we moved, I should also say, when we moved to uh, CAGS, that we formed an EBRS uh, um, committee which had uh, individuals uh, who had a clinical epidemiology background and uh, were spread across the uh, country. That's fascinating. Um, really, really interesting. Dr. McLeod, what were some of the, the highlights and the lowlights that you can remember thinking back to getting it going? In particular, maybe some of the challenges and how you overcame them. Uh, sure. I think that it wasn't as bad as uh, you thought it might, you'd think it might be, because I had these uh, uh, surgeons who, uh, you know, were uh, fairly well known um, and behind me, and Bill Fitzgerald also, uh, he's always been really uh, supportive. And then uh, we were just lucky to uh, get some funding from uh, Pharma, so that really uh, helped us. And then uh, in 2005, I think it was, uh, Richard Finley, who was the, uh, had been the uh, chair of uh, surgery at UBC and was a regent at, um, uh, on the board at uh, the American College of Surgeons. And I was also 
a uh, regent, and Richard really liked evidence-based reviews and surgery. And so that's uh, we spoke to uh, them, and that's how we got uh, uh, the ACS behind us as well. So, you know, that it was <laughs> really pretty uh, easy and support. Everyone was very supportive, so it was good. How did you actually get people on board? Because, like, clearly my grandfather, who was a community general surgeon in Fort Saskatchewan, had heard of this. Well, you know, that was a bit of a problem. It's so, I hadn't thought about it until uh, I was going to talk to you about this. And um, it made me think of how we've changed over the last 20 years. So one of the problems we had was that um, none of the um, articles were really available electronically. Um, and um, at first... We didn't. We just gave the um, gave them the name of the uh, participants. That is, that we just gave them uh, the name of the um, uh, of the uh, article we were going to uh, study that month, and then they'd have to go to their library and uh, get it from there, or get it from them. And needless to say that that was, we didn't like that because we were really wanted the uh, community surgeons to be involved and they might not have a, uh, um, a library with these uh, articles. So that was a big problem. And after about the first or second year, we uh, wrote to a few um, of the uh, editors of some of the bigger uh, journals and uh, we said, do you think that we could uh, uh, download one of your um, papers uh, here and there and uh, that we could then put it on our uh, um, website? And so I think that's how we did it. Or maybe we just gave it to them each month. But that was a big problem for us. And then we had the listserv uh, where we tried to get people to uh, discuss things. but. That was really difficult, too, because I think it's much easier now how you're doing it is that people can just write something in and they, they're not as shy to say anything. Uh, but that uh, was sort of, and then we sort of uh, just went along and uh, it grew. Uh, one other thing I'll tell you is that <laughs> this, was, this is a good story, that Bill Fitzgerald, as I said, was a real... Um, very supportive, and uh, when we were going to implement this, he said, "I think that you should, you guys should do a uh, randomized controlled trial, and uh, one group would be surgeons who just got the clinical um, article for the uh, month, and then the other group, the um, uh, surgeons would get the article as well as the methodology article." And also the um, also uh, the discussion on our uh, listserv, and uh, they he said, "Well, you know, you guys are all about evidence. You got to show us whether uh, this is uh, whether EBRS is better than just reading the article." And in fact, uh, we got funding for that, and we did show that uh, those people who um, did all of the works with the um, with the EBRS that uh, they did much uh, better.
So that was one of the highlights, really. And then we actually had a second uh, trial that we did, and that was we um, we um, had two groups. These were cluster randomized controlled trials where we had uh, several uh, universities where um, they residents would just uh, get the materials electronically and they would uh, just read them themselves as opposed to a journal club where you know that people were in person and they really uh, talked to each other and again not surprisingly the one uh, uh, where it was uh, a journal club that the uh, individuals did uh, much better on that so those are some of the highlights uh, of this um, I think that um, the only thing is, and uh, Chad knows this, is that um, uh, in the last uh, few years that we had difficulty uh, continuing to get some uh, support from uh, from our uh, sources, uh, but uh, the new editor editors have uh, done a good job in that. So uh, we've been able to uh, continue. That's fascinating. Dr. McLeod, the EBRS session at the Canadian Journal of Surgery um, that you've kindly involved uh, a number of us in is always really popular in terms of feedback and attendance. Um, I was just curious for, for those who don't know, you know, behind the curtain, so to speak, if you could explain how you select the articles, both for the, the CJS session, sorry, the CJS um, um, in general, as well as the CSF in particular for that session. Uh, sure. So I think that uh, to get the attention of uh, clinicians, that you have to have an interesting uh, clinical topic. And the great thing about uh, general surgery is, um, you know, there's a whole variety of different things from breast cancer to uh, uh, hemorrhoids to, uh, to name it. And uh, so we really uh, tried to get uh, topics that would be really of interest to uh, clinicians. And most of them were uh, clinical, but uh, sometimes they were sort of more um, articles about uh, the system and how to implement things and whatever. So I think that um, because we uh, chose um, a clinical topic which was of interest to the clinicians that uh, we got their uh, interest. And then um, we also uh, gave them a uh, methodology article to read and we hoped that that would uh, help them uh, understand uh, why this, the clinical article might be a good article or not a necessarily a good article. And uh, then uh, we did have the uh, discussion on the listserv. And then at the end of two weeks that uh, we would give a synopsis of both from the clinical side as well as the uh, uh, methodology side. And uh, when we had the Americans uh, from the ACS on this, uh, and it was going out to uh, American uh, surgeons as well. We had two, uh, one person from, one surgeon from uh, Canada, the other surgeon from the U.S. who would uh, do a clinical review of the articles. And I think that really uh, increased the interest too because most of the uh, articles we chose that 
how we do things in Canada was similar to how they do things in um, in the U.S., but in some, you know, they were quite different, and so that was inter- of interest to the uh, clinicians. But I think the real thing was that uh, the clinical uh, issues grabbed them to sort of get involved, and then uh, they uh, once they did that, then uh, they uh, also started enjoying or reading the methodology, and then the uh, articles that we. Um, uh, showed or that we gave to them um, that um, did a critique of the methodology and the uh, clinical paper as well. What are your thoughts of, on how things have sort of evolved over time? I think it's great that, you know, it's come along. As we were discussing uh, that when we first started this, we uh, had lots of difficulties just getting uh, hold of a uh, of a uh, clinical article that we'd have to uh, ask the editors, et cetera, cetera. and then we had a listserv, which probably no one knows what a listserv is now, (laughs) and um, so I think it's, you know, it's adapting to uh, particularly um, what younger uh, surgeons are doing, you know, looking at their app and tweeting and uh, having that discussion that way. Uh, I think it's much better, although the only, just having said that, there is still something about uh, getting people together in a room and, uh, you know, sitting and talking back and forth. And uh, I think that you guys do a great job with the app and tweeting and stuff like that. But there is just a little bit uh, lost by uh, uh, not getting everyone in a room to have a discussion. But you know, uh, residents and everyone else are busy, so I don't think that, uh, you know, it's a little bit idealistic for me to think that uh, we get people together in a room and uh, talk about uh, uh, general surgery. So I think that uh, I'm very proud of how it's just um, continued to be available and uh, that it's uh, changed as we've gone along. It's it's fascinating to to hear how it's evolved from you as well to think about how it'll evolve in the future and where it'll go in the next ten years and twenty years. But looking backwards, um, just one more time, is there a particular EBRS related manuscript or series of manuscripts that's fond to your heart and, and interested you? <laughs> well, we um, we uh, published just about every. Uh, every package, you know, that it would have a synopsis of the, um, of the uh, clinical article, and then we do a um, evaluation of the methodology and then also the clinical um, article. And so we've got all of those out there in hinterland somewhere. And uh, so we're pretty proud of that. And I think that you asked me a second question or... Yeah, just, just if there was any particular paper that that strikes your uh, your your memory in terms of being particularly fun or controversial or enjoyable. Well, you know, one of the ones that we did was um, probably ten years ago, maybe, but it's a while ago that there was a uh, uh, an article, a randomized controlled trial. On uh, in the uh, New England Journal of Medicine that um, 
and they had um, two groups of patients, one that was treated, uh, I should say, uh, they had lung cancer, stage four lung cancer, and uh, one uh, group uh, that received uh, chemotherapy and the other one um, palliative care. And uh, so we did that one, even though it's a little bit, a little bit uh, outside of general surgery, but uh, the uh, what we learned from it was really important to all of us. And uh, that one, that article too, people really liked that because uh, I guess all of us would think that oh, well, if you give chemotherapy, they'll live longer. And uh, it was quite striking that uh, patients who were treated with uh, palliative care did uh, live longer. And uh, I like that also because it just shows that, you know, we weren't just talking about uh, how to do a hemorrhoidectomy or some ridiculous thing like that, that uh, we were uh, really looking at uh, some of the things that uh, we as clinicians might uh, not know that much about. Yeah, you're, I, you're, I totally agree that a paper had such a strong signal and and says so much beyond the actual topic of lung cancer. It's, it was a great discussion uh, via EBRS. Yeah. Um, you, I hope you don't mind if we switch gears uh, now a little bit from EBRS and and hopefully uh, uh, talk about you a little bit. Um, I don't you know, really like talking about. <laughs> that, uh, we know, we know, but you're you're fascinating and and uh, no, I'm sure we can all learn down, from you. Keep it down. <laughs> But um, let me ask you, what drove your initial interest in in pursuing surgery as a trainee and then uh, in particular colorectal surgery after that? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I was thinking about that. I really don't know what sort of uh, pushed me towards uh, surgery. I just really always liked it from when I was a uh, uh, clerk and uh, I really liked gastroenterology, so I liked sort of the GI part of it. Um, I also uh, had an uncle who uh, was a uh, general surgeon. Oh, and I should say, you know, when I finished medical school, it was probably before you were born, but anyway, uh, I finished medical school in uh, 1975. And at that time, like, no female went into uh, surgery. And uh, my uncle really uh, wanted me to be a surgeon. And uh, then when I was a clerk and then I did a rotating internship and the surgeons who um, I worked with, they really uh, supported me. So and so um, that's how I got into surgery. It sort of wasn't any big thing or anything like that, but I love Oh, and I'll tell you one of the reasons why I like um, general surgery or at that time is... Uh, there was, you know, there wasn't really great uh, imaging around about that time. Uh, CT scans were probably started in about 1980 or something like that. And what I really liked about uh, GI surgery is that in ortho or cardiac, you put up the um, the X-ray for ortho, and then you know you don't. That's what you you figure out. That's what the operation is on cardiac. Uh, not uh, an x-ray, but uh, whatever study. And um, in uh, in uh, abdominal surgery, what I've always liked is, you know, even with good imaging now, you sort of have to um, 
think about uh, what the clinical findings are and uh, then um, use your brain to uh, think about should we operate and what we're going to do or what uh, may be uh, going on. And uh, if we don't operate, what the uh, circumstances might be. So that's what I really liked about uh, abdominal surgery. And uh, that's probably why uh, I did uh, general surgery and then colorectal uh, surgery. Uh, but partly uh, I did the colorectal surgery because my partner of many years, uh, after I finished uh, Zane Cohen, uh, was starting to do uh, cock pouches, and uh, then we started doing uh, pelvic pouches and strictureplasties, and you know the um, the uh, surgery that we did do, and then for um, rectal cancer, and uh, you know it was very uh, you know it was difficult uh, surgery, and then uh, reoperating on uh, patients who had uh, been operated on before, there were real challenges. And so I think that's why I uh, particularly liked uh, colorectal surgery, because of the new things that were coming along, and uh, also uh, just uh, that um, operating on the belly can be uh, quite difficult. In terms of uh, research, Dr. McLeod, you mentioned that your time in, in McMaster um, certainly uh, um, brightened and focused you with regard to EBRS, but how was it that you got interested in the research component of, of our practice out of the gate? Um, when I was a uh, resident, I actually did some uh, basic science research, and uh, then as I said, I went to uh, Mac when I finished, and I really I could not be a uh, bench researcher at all. I uh, I just wasn't as interested in it. But I loved uh, everything that I learned at uh, McMaster, and uh, I think also that you know it fit well with uh, the clinical work that uh, I was doing also, and uh, so. Um, I and you know I've really had an interest, sort of an over, over, uh, over sounding or whatever over uh, sight um, with um, evidence-based surgery, and that really is what. Um, I would say what I was really interested in. And so I did some clinical trials, uh, uh, clinical ones with, uh, with the IBD patients as well as uh, um, colorectal uh, patients and uh, cancer patients. And uh, But then I also was in, so that was what I consider um getting the best evidence, but then as we've been talking about, uh, I was really interested in uh, ensuring that um, people use that evidence, and particularly, um, I felt very strongly that if we want our residents to use evidence when they're out in um, in practice, that we have to be uh, teaching them the skills to um, 
uh, as to how do we evaluate um, uh, articles, and that's where EBRS came in. Uh, but also, uh, subsequently, that we had an initiative uh, at U of T, Best Practice in General Surgery, and that's where we all yeah. came together and uh, we uh, reviewed the literature, but we also uh, uh, came together so that we um, uh, agreed on the guidelines. And so the example I use is that I thought that it would be terrible for uh, patients or the uh, residents to come to the Mount Sinai Hospital and we'd use uh, antibiotics A and B uh, for our colorectal uh, patients and then they'd go to Sunnybrook and they'd try and the uh, antibiotics they'd use were C and D and then they'd go to another one and they were different ones as well. And so it was a terrific um, uh, initiative, I think, that uh, it brought us all together in the uh, seven or eight uh, U of T hospitals that we developed these guidelines and uh, they were evidence-based, but also the residents liked them because they didn't uh, have to learn different processes if they came to uh, hospital one and then hospital two. So that's really what ties it together is uh, I really believe in uh, uh, evidence-based care and uh, uh, doing the uh, studies so that you can get the best evidence, but then also implementing it. That's uh, really fascinating, uh, Dr. McLeod. And do you think, like over time, we've gotten better as um, sort of clinicians and residents at kind of adhering to be understanding the evidence behind things and and doing things according to evidence based? Uh, yeah, I think that uh, we're much more aware of um, of uh, evidence and uh, using guidelines. When we started best practice in uh, general surgery in 2006, it was interesting that the reason that we started it was because um, we wanted uh, people to uh, use the best evidence. But now we don't call it that anymore. We call it uh, quality improvement. And uh, I think that with quality improvement, that obviously uh, you need to have uh, evidence. But it's much, you know, like uh, I think in every uh, province, in every hospital, uh, there are quality uh, initiatives and uh, uh, you know, NISQIP is a good example, and uh, so that it's come a long way. And so I think uh, because of that, that we're using more guidelines and also uh, our performance is being uh, assessed also. So, yeah, I think that we do. I think, though, that there's a lot better or a lot of other things that we could do, you know, that uh, uh, choosing uh, the right antibiotics and mechanical bowel prep and... Uh, and DVT prophylaxis, like that's just sort of the start of things. There's so many other things that we uh, should be doing and we could do better. But uh, we try. What What is an average day in, in your practice? Um, what does it historically look like? Um, I guess is the first question. The second one would be what optimally would you want it to look like? And, and how do you manage that and balance all that as well with being 
um, um, you know, a mom and a and um, a husband, uh, sorry, a wife, and uh, and all the other social things that you do. <laughs> well, I'm not that wonderful, so take that line out. <laughs> I don't know, uh, but uh, I wouldn't change my practice at all. So I operated two days a week. I was in clinic one day, and then uh, two days a week I was over here at CCO one or one and a half of those days at one time and uh, the other two doing research or other things like that. And that was good. But I'll tell you really how this, uh, the best thing, <laughs> it's so funny actually, is uh, my, uh, when we were, when I was first in uh, practice and uh, we had two small uh, daughters that, uh, and my husband was uh busy too that we would come home on Friday night and my husband would say uh, I've got to go into the office this weekend so I'm going to go in on uh, Saturday and I said well I've got uh, work to do also so (laughs) you have to be at home on Sunday and I'll go in on Sunday and you know it was really awful for a lot of reasons you know like that we didn't see each other or whatever so I came up with this idea that Monday uh, it was the one of my days when I, uh, my research day, and I wasn't operating. So I would stay in my office till about midnight on uh, on Monday. And my husband knew that he had to be home on uh, Monday night. And he'd, you know, give get dinner for the girls and everything like that. And that was my night. And, you know... Uh, you can think of it, it's all, you know, if I was there from six until midnight or something like that, that's sort of like a whole day, you know, on the weekend. But I didn't do anything on the weekend unless, you know, I had a few little things, but that's when I would do it. But the funny thing is that my husband loves playing uh, tennis and squash and uh, he plays a lot and has a lot of friends, but all of his friends were scared to ask him to play on Monday because they knew <laughs> that I would not appreciate it and they would get a lecture from me. So that was sort of the big joke in our family that uh, John could not go out and play uh, with his friends on uh, Monday night. He had to be at home. So that is the only sort of thing that, uh, I guess, is sort of a little thing that I uh, that was good for my research. That's great. I think ju- just in terms of closing, um, is there any parting advice that you would you would uh, um, be willing to provide, or, or recommendations, or advice in general um, to any tra- trainees that will be listening to this at, at any level, whether that's medical students, or residents, or fellows, or junior staff, or or anyone? Uh, well, I think that uh, I would tell them that we are very, very lucky to be uh, surgeons. It's such a great occupation, uh, such a wonderful thing. Um, but I think that we always have to remember that uh, it's the patients that we need to think about and their care. And uh, we have to treat them like uh, human beings and uh, it's all about them. And I think that more and more we're starting to be uh, um, have more engagement and we're asking patients what's important. And um, 
uh, I think that's what we need to do. Um, I think that, um, as I said, that we're very uh, lucky to uh, be in such a rewarding um, uh, occupation. And uh, I, for me, I think the uh, academic part of my career and teaching and education uh, were just really important to me. But, uh, but it's been a fabulous career. You've been listening to Cold Steel, the official podcast of the Canadian Journal of Surgery. If you've liked what you've been listening to, please leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear your comments and feedback, so feel free to email us at podcast.cjs at gmail.com or connect with us on Twitter at CanJSurge. Thanks again.